We're recording right. now. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading this thing. Yeah. Um, after I say um, thank you to the Moonrays for that lovely intro, um, Experiment in Terror. Yes, that's the Henry Mancini composition uh, as performed by a wonderful Chicago band. Thank you for your permission using that, and we'll probably use uh, other music, which will always be credited as well. Welcome to Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. You will, uh, this is episode one, so you will have hosts and sometimes guests. Editing will be kept simple and hopefully to the point. Uh, some sound bites will be used sometimes to illustrate things or just for fun. Um, like I said, the music will be spiked in here and there or an outro for the end of the show. And we'll always say who it is, so if you want to visit their uh, social media or buy their stuff online you'll be able to do that uh, your hosts will talk about horror movies of all vintages so if we run out and see something that's in theaters now we're not going to ruin the ending for you um, so if the butler did it we're not going to tell you uh, if spoilers concern you greatly please see the show notes for what is discussed in an episode if you noticed the explicit tag be warned um, don't play it for your kids if your kids shouldn't be hearing stuff Although we'll talk about our likes and dislikes, recommendations, etc., this is mostly for fun and not to be taken as a critics panel. Critics likely get paychecks for their kickings and their screamings, uh, and they may sometimes take themselves too seriously, which I don't think is going to be a problem with us. Um, and since this is a new show, you'll notice that there will be features that are rotated in to see how well they work in our conversational style. If something works, we'll stick with it. And if something doesn't, we probably won't. Uh, some of these will be, and today we'll introduce Cut to the Sequel. We'll be talking about a great sequel. Uh, original versus Remake. So bad it's good. Uh, those are all kind of self-explanatory. Listorama. We're going to probably do this every episode. Um, we'll do a list of something that hopefully will be helpful. If it's not helpful, then, um, oh well, it won't take long. Mind Eraser, that's one that needs a little explanation. That's going to be, and I'll use this example, the car. I remember the car. Um, the car had a car in it. It was evil. It was a black car that was evil, and it, I think, killed people. I don't remember anything else about it because time has erased this from my mind. So Mind Eraser would be a good one for um, revisiting some things that may really be worth it or maybe are better off forgotten. History class, we're going to talk about um, some history of film and uh, what that means to horror movies today and how they got where they're at. And we might even do a Would You Rather. Uh, on with the show, meet your hosts. Uh, let me introduce uh, to my right, Will. Will. This is the sound of my voice. And Jolian. Good evening. All right. My name's Richard, so we're going to get started. Um, 
little about yourselves. Will, you want to tell us who you are, what you do, um, some likes, some dislikes? I'd rather remain anonymous for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't use your last name. <laughs> uh, no, I'm a... I don't know. I have nothing to... S- no introduction planned. I should have planned an introduction. Well, tell us what project you're working on, because I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, I'm working on a comic about the Black Dahlia. Um, I've been working on it for many, many years now. Um, It'll probably be ready in about 20 years. Um, Excellent. Uh, Is it going to be a graphic novel? Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Look forward to that. Yeah, I want some Someday. Do a Kickstarter. I'll, I'll... I'll buy whatever you're selling. It's All like, right. It's like reading that Berlin series. Oh, just, yes, just yes. Be patient. I just bought the second book of that. I mean, it's been out for a while, but I have to reread the first book because mm-hmm. I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jolene, a little about yourself. Uh, what do you What do you do for fun or money or uh, <laughs> however uh, you want to describe I, this? Uh, I'm an illustrator. Um I've done mostly comics recently. I illustrated the Ninjago Lego series. Um, might be doing that again soon. I don't know. I uh, just did a book for the WWE and uh, just did a bunch of covers for uh, Tim Paxton's magazines like Monster and uh, Monster International and Wings Chop. And uh, I was the star of uh, Godzilla. Not not Godzilla himself, mm-hmm. but... Uh, Second guy running out of the gate, <laughs> about seven minutes in. So, so uh, <laughs> for everyone sitting at this table, <laughs> only one of us could raise our hand if they said, "Who's been in a Godzilla movie?" Yeah, I was, I was playing a guy named O Matsumoto. Oh, <laughs> very convincing performance. Oh yes, it, it was. Uh, it was ignored by the Academy this year. I notice it's what they call getting snubbed. Yes, yeah, it's resoundingly snubbed. So, um, basically, uh, we all, well, let me introduce myself. I'm Richard. I am, a, I'm an illustrator as well. And, um, I also have a couple of different screen printed brands of things that, uh, people can go buy. We may talk about that later, but, um, we all draw stuff and we all have that in common. We all really enjoy horror movies. Like I said, of all vintages. So, um. I think it's pretty cool that we kind of have some things in common for perspective, but we, I think we all have very different tastes when it comes down to it. And your, your printing line is screen monsters, screenmonsters.com. That's uh that's my artwork that is um, just ready to buy online. And uh, I take it to conventions. That's where I do most of my business. Cause well, I don't really know how SEO works. I don't know what computers do. But uh, conventions are pretty fun because sometimes somebody wanders up to your table and it's that guy from that thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's fun watching your uh, convention photos because there's like right. Freddy Krueger or Pinhead right. standing at your booth. And sometimes it's the real guy and sometimes it's a cosplay. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, the other brand is um, Counter Couture, which is found at countercouturedesign.com. And there are a few things. There's a, a uh, Edgar Allan Poe-themed a tea towel set and a couple of the images skulls and anatomical hearts appear on pillows and uh, t-shirts and things like that so yeah, there's some stuff for the horror fans but mostly um you know I, I would say your average folks can enjoy that one more than they would screen monsters 
And we all know each other from working at the same store in, in happier times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we all work today. Uh, art supply store we won't mention the name mm -hmm. we don't want to give them free advertising <laughs> no because we may want to uh, cash in on that later and say you know what people can't stand the suspense they want to know what this store we worked for right <laughs> it was not nationally owned and that's all we're going to tell you but we all worked there for uh, varying numbers of years so that's certainly worth mentioning that uh we sold least, art supplies to people. <laughs> at least five. So what's up in the first show, Richard? What's up is we're going to do cut to the sequel. Um, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about the 1935 classic Bride of Frankenstein, mm -hmm. which is um, a, little, a, a quick little history lesson for people who uh, kick and scream about sequels and hollywood's got no new ideas wham 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 well guess what they've been doing this for i'm not kidding you 80 years at least because bride of frankenstein in 1935 um was a sequel to the 1931 frankenstein so we'll be talking about that one before we do though let's talk about what we've watched recently um anyone want to start uh, well, obviously, i watched bride of frankenstein yes. <laughs> you don't uh, say <laughs> just last night um i hadn't seen it in probably 25 years last time i saw it, it was on a video cassette and oh. i was kind of amazed at how well the picture looked <laughs> yeah you know, uh it's no not fuzzy i'm i'm re-experiencing a lot of these older horror movies and and I just remember them from really bad VHS copies. Mm -hmm. They will fix the tracking on that, right? right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I first saw it on the BBC, like one of the late night horror double bills, and and they're, they're quite over dark and mm, crackly yes. old prints they had, but you know, sheer bliss to catch up with them finally. It's yeah, a, it's pretty impressive when they put the work into the restoration on these things. Yeah, I got the Blu-ray of the. Uh, the classic monsters set with pride on it and it's just gorgeous it is amazing what else have you seen will uh i watched woman in black too which electric boogaloo <laughs> committed the cardinal <laughs> sin of being dull yes uh i'll watch any movie as long as it's not dull uh it reminded me a lot of uh devil's backbone which is a much better film and once again i watched uh a new cut of Manos. They've they've remastered it for some reason. You've watched it twice. I've watched it numerous times, all the way through. I have to plead ignorance to that one. I don't know. I, I don't know that title at all. Manos, the Hands of Fate. No, I, no, no. I, I've watched really? it once, and I got a tattoo specially. For <laughs> Ooh, it's it's not the worst film I've ever seen. No, it's not but, Robot Monster. Uh. I don't even think Robot Monster is the I worst so. film I've ever seen. It was, there was an episode of Elementary in the third season where they they have um, like a horror movie director and his house is full of posters and Manos is the only actual movie that's on the wall. <laughs> and it, it provides a vital clue. And, you know, as usual, the, like the horror filmmakers, evil guy. Spoilers. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> is he overweight and lives in his mom's basement? Not quite, but because that's the stereotype we hear yes. a lot. I don't know. So, so those were the those were the three. Those most, are the three I've watched the most recently. most recently. Jolene. So uh, I watched 
Bride of Frankenstein once with the excellent commentary. How was that? By someone I forget his name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a sorry, sorry. Uh, so yeah, I, I watched I watched I watched it with a commentary and then watched it on Blu-ray just this morning. Um, but my memory is terrible, so I'll probably I'll probably mess it up. Uh, and then before that, last horror movie I saw was this HBO movie from '95 called Witch Hunt with. Um, uh, uh, Dennis Hopper as H.P. Lovecraft, who's this detective. And, uh, oh, I remember that. Yeah, set in the forties. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of uh, a take off the McCarthy hearings if it was witchcraft instead of communism. Yeah. And then uh, before that, I saw this Filipino movie called uh, James Batman from nineteen sixty six. It's called James Batman. James Batman. So it's got James Bond and Batman and Robin in it, and uh, various. Filipino guys playing Joker and Penguin and some various uh, villains of, a, of their own devising, like a woman named Black Rose. And uh, and they've got their own Batmobile. And Where did you find that? Oh, at some obscure corner of the internet. But, oh, um, excellent. Yeah, it was uh, not, not as much fun as you might hope for. <laughs> when, when they're actually doing the comedy bits, it's quite funny, but... It just doesn't have the budget to do justice to either franchise. <laughs> oh, the commentary was by Scott McQueen. Scott McQueen. Did an excellent job. All right. So, um, I guess that brings it to what have I watched lately? And funny thing about that, I've secretly been doing a horror movie a day or 31 horror movies in October, whichever way, oh, it, nice. whichever way it pans out. And... Uh, Sometimes I don't get to start them till after 11, but before midnight. But uh, I watched a whole bunch. I stumbled upon Silver Bullet with the great Gary Busey. Um, I don't think I've seen that one. I've just read the book. Ah. The Is that the Stephen scene. King? The adaptation of Cycle of the Werewolf, which mm-hmm. was done really well um, in a graphic novel format by Bernie Wrightson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that one... It doesn't um, translate as well to this sort of made-for-TV movie-looking thing. I don't think it was in theaters. I could be wrong. I should have probably researched that. Um, it hasn't shown up on television in years that I've noticed. No, I've never seen that. I've, I saw that a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but numerous not Numerous times on VHS. No, not recently. Same here. And that, and that, when it was on, and I had just missed the very beginning, I said, all right, I'm going to sit down and watch this. In fact, I recorded uh, some audio from it because Gary Busey is just Buseying it up in the best ways possible mm-hmm. as Uncle Red. It's a lot of fun. Um, I watched Hatchet 3 um, because I knew I was going to be seeing a 35 millimeter print of Hatchet 2 with a visit from uh, the writer-director Adam Green and Kane Hodder, who plays... Um, uh, Hatchet? <laughs> Hatchet! Uh, no, he's, his, his name is um, Victor Crowley. Is the... I prefer Hatchet. <laughs> yeah. That's a better name, clearly. Yeah, they should have just called him Hatchet. Yeah, that that would have been it. So, and then, yeah. then I went plowing through October watching um, Trick or Treat, not Trick or Treat, um, but the one with the little pumpkin-headed boy in it. Um, yes, yeah. yes, quite enjoyed that. Yeah, that one was fun. Um, I shouldn't go on. I'll just name a couple more and then move on. Uh, so I did, I did, of course, see Hatchet 2. Um, and I started watching A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is very interesting. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't got through it, so don't ruin it. 
<laughs> she gets home. <laughs> Great. It's still night. I'm just going to save myself another 30 minutes and not watch that. Is that the U- Iranian? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's an Iranian yeah. film. vampires. Yeah. Filmed in the U.S. But all in, yes. you know. I like the shots when she was on the roller skates with the cape going. Yes. Did that remind you of Fright Night 2 with the roller skating werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> roller skating monsters and no. you know there's a severe lack of roller skating monsters i gotta say but uh if if you have not watched fright night 2 electric boogaloo um you should go back and watch it just for the roller skating werewolf in I the 90s I, they were all on uh you know roller blades but yeah yeah but in, the, but in the 80s it was another story you had to have four wheels on each foot that were at each corner of your foot um so we'll talk about the what we've watched recently things some more next episode. But to get to the point, let's talk about Bride of Frankenstein, 1935. So directed by James Whale. Um, Jolien, you probably are pretty well versed in the work of James Whale. Um, you want to give us some background on him? Well, he, um, I think this is his, his best one. It's definitely my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd done the... Uh, and Frankenstein and Old Dark House, which is uh, another horror comedy like Bride, but uh, um, with Ernest Thesiger in it as uh, Femme. I forget his first name in that. Hmm. Um, anyway, it's where the uh, line about Jin being his only vice comes from, I think. Yes. And he did The Invisible Man, which is uh, very funny and has some good scary bits and also... Uno Connor. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about her uh, before the show. And Claude Rains, uh, who was scheduled to be Pretorius and Bride, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but bowed out. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, and, and uh, the original film of Showboat. They needed um, more Pretorius in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he needs his own movie. <laughs> And he did the movie called The Road Back as well, which is a, another sequel. And that was to uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which uh, also relates to Bride because um, for that they built this German square on the Universal Backlot. Wow. And that's that set you see in Bride and The Wolfman and, you know, tons of Universal movies. You know, whenever they, someone comes through an arch or... Uh, yeah, it's probably that set they built for the, the war yeah. movie. To hell with Kevin Bacon. I think we could connect everything through <laughs> Dr. Pretorius. <laughs> and Somehow. Of, yeah, I mean, we, don't, we don't need Kevin I wonder Kevin if that Bacon. set is still standing. And uh, uh, a good film called Gods and Monsters, which is from a Pretorius quote, is, mm-hmm. is a film made around... Uh, was came out in 98 i think it was something like uh, that where um it's about james well and in, in and so later it has years. the making of bride and it follows him up through his up to his his death in the 50s it's an excellent film in its own right and gives you some insight and into his life yeah that that was uh pretty cool to to spot that quote um on the rewatch um i just watched this bride of frankenstein uh, i just watched this again a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a few years. And when he says that line, it's like, yes. oh, yeah, that's where they got the title for that movie. To a world of gods and monsters. Yes. I wrote that down somewhere in my notes here. Um, 
So, so James Whale, um, I'm, you know, obviously you would agree that uh, surpassed the original, mm-hmm. you know, the original 1931 Frankenstein with yeah. his work on this one. And he didn't even want to do it. Right. And he, he wanted to kind of broaden his, uh, his portfolio of awesomeness um, and, and did touch on some other genres. You know, the, the horror comedy that was overtly comedic. Um, but that was really um, cool that he gave in finally. And he just wanted more creative freedom is what my understanding was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they let him. Yeah. He said, I need such and such or uh, I won't make the movie. Yeah. yeah. Hold it hostage. Get it done right. Yeah. I mean, he held it up for a week to get the guy to play the uh, hermit. Um, another name I've forgotten. But um, yeah, he held up production for a week and it went like uh, over budget a bit, like uh, something like a million dollars plus in today's money. Hmm. But uh, yeah, got what he wanted. Yeah, I have in my notes that um, <clears throat> that in one, in wanting to broaden his horizons uh, and and his portfolio of awesome movies that he directed six other pictures and uh and, you know and of course the note about the creative freedom he did some camera work that i don't think anyone else was doing as far as how how cool it looked and how innovative it, it was for its time um I can't. I that can't. is right. They did use cameras on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the caps were off the lenses at all times. <laughs> you know that? The first to put film in a camera. To be fair, they didn't have lens caps back then. <laughs> they only figured that out later. And then There's some movies I've watched that we, where you think, well, one good thing I can say, they remember to take the cap off the lens. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful cinematography and production design. Yeah, the lighting is amazing, especially toward the end of this picture. But uh, yeah, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. So the opening of the show... Um, I, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, but the opening's great. It's a little uh, prologue. and mm-hmm. covers uh, Mary Shelley and Lord Byron, Percy yes. Shelley. And she would have been... Yeah, so she's she's referred to as Mary Shelley, but she was actually Mary Godwin at the time. She mm. wasn't quite married for a few months. She, ah. she was pregnant by Percy Shelley, but not quite married. And and he also had a child with another woman at the same time. Yeah, that all that all that group were up oh. to mischief. Lord Byron was, you know, <laughs> he, he yeah, wasn't well, foppish at all, Byron. was he? No, no. <laughs> Does he say in the movie he's the greatest sinner in England or something? <laughs> I was going to say I, I enjoyed... Uh, Oscar uh, Wilde was like, pshaw! Yes. How, uh, how uh, Frankenstein, who's Henry for some reason in the yeah, movie. Yeah, not, not the Victor. Right. Not yeah. Victor. Um, it was not palatable to Americans to hear a, an exotic name like Victor. Uh, I love he he's... Clearly dead, thrown from the windmill. And then he slowly gets better. And by the night, the next night, he's up and walking about. So It's like Popeye after a can of spinach, Yeah, the way this guy comes around. It's amazing. Because, you know, watch that, you know, without, without any careful scrutiny. And you will notice that it's a terrible dummy that hits the blades of the well, windmill. Yeah. They're all pretty bad dummies when yeah. people are tossed around in this movie. But I mean, I mean uh, when 
uh, like Frankenstein is this huge hit, so they wanted a sequel, so they made whale or was it his own idea? But anyway, they reshot the ending so that he survives. Right. And uh, should should I mention the ending of Bride yet? Yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, we're spoiling came out eighty at the years end of, ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes. By the way, you know we should have a cake for this. It's yeah. Eighty years. They get married. Uh, <laughs> honeymoon in Hawaii. They, they have some the funniest little statues in the top of their cake. It was, yeah. It was good. Anyway, Unfortunately, um, it did not last. <laughs> it lasts about four minutes, didn't it? Yeah. Cake good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so. You know, he obviously intends uh, Frankenstein to be killed at the end of this movie, and uh, but there, there's like a reshoot where he he makes it up the hill with Elizabeth, but you can see if you watch the uh, lab blowing up, you can see Pretorius mm-hmm. on one side and Henry over the other side still. Oh, I didn't mm. notice because that. obviously they couldn't afford to reshoot. Yeah, destroying the, the set, and uh, yes, you can still see. I it. wondered why they put a switch in that would blow up your whole castle, <laughs> and have it just you know so easily. I took notes on that too. I, I, I have to question that uh, that design. That well, you know, the functionality. Of putting a quarter into your machines, you just you know used all the lightning you could, and then when you were through with it, just blew the whole thing up. So uh, the first the first time you watch the film, I, I don't want to get too far away from the beginning without saying, did you notice it was Elsa Lanchester playing Mary Shelley like the first time or two or three that you watched the movie? Did you notice it right away as a kid? Uh, I think I knew that. How about you? Uh, I knew that now, but as a kid, I don't know that yeah, I, I knew I or, or Or noticed. Although <clears throat> I have thought her name was Lancaster for years yeah that happens a lot until last night mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like chester chester, chester oh. really? yeah and she, she's great in it she looks uh so sweet and yeah. pretty and I mean, she's beautiful as the bride as well but um yeah yeah and i'm like you think what an iconic monster that's still uh that doesn't people do much. dresses her <laughs> today and and she's only active for like four minutes oh yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I think her cleavage gets more screen time at the beginning of the movie than it, uh, than her hairdo the, uh, does at the end. The uh, censors made them cut some of that as well. Like typical, ah. there's like 15 minutes. About 15 minutes was cut from the preview, and uh, and and some of that was showing her decolletage at the start. Hmm. They said oh, it was too much of that. Wow. Yes, I noticed they proudly proclaimed they met all the censorship or. Uh, you know, uh, what would you call the movie review boards, rules, uh, you know. They checked all the boxes. Yeah. <clears throat> well, good for them. Um, now, I, I didn't want to get also too far away from, uh, of course, Mary Shelley points out that uh, her purpose was to write a moral lesson that the publishers did not see. Uh, the punishment that befell a mortal man who dared to emulate God, which is kind of a running theme through at least the first two pictures in the series. Um, now, Lord Byron uh, doesn't seem to be too drawn in by this. And he, no. And he foppishly promises to <laughs> to take great relish in savoring each separate horror. I roll them around in my tongue. So... He's rolling a lot of R's before he ever says that he's going to roll things around on his tongue. And I thought that was pretty outstanding yeah. because he's he's such 
an interesting character. He's making great proclamations and strutting about the parlor. And uh, I think he kind of, you know, gives you a false sense of... Uh, of uh, ease and comedy at the beginning of this thing and decadence and decadence yeah, yeah. so he's he kind of prefigures pretorius he, he like enjoys all this right stuff like, like i do but <laughs> so he he basically does a, a, a narration behind this montage slash recap mm-hmm. which includes the bad dummy thrown off the windmill um but then this sort of um retcons the whole thing and says oh hey look who lived mm-hmm. now um so mary shelley pricks her finger and nearly faints, which was very fashionable in her day, I suppose. Fainting. They even had whole couches designed for this purpose. Mm. And uh, her fellows implore her to uh, not end her story quite so suddenly. And she says, that wasn't the end at all. Yes. Who would you like to hear what happened after that? I feel like telling it. So she tells it. Mm -hmm. And that's where we kind of go into the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's a perfect night for mystery and horror. The air itself is filled with monsters. Well, and then, and another thing about that night, like uh, uh, when they were gathered in uh, Lake, at Lake Geneva um, and they had the storytelling mm-hmm. session, that was the, called the, um, the Year Without a Summer, um, 1816, because um, like the, was it the previous year? Um, it's, it's like the this volcanic eruption in Indonesia um, and the ash had darkened so much of the planet that there was a storms and a famine across Europe and there's, there's riots there's people wow. getting killed around Europe. And, uh, you know, it, it, it wrecked a lot of uh, uh, the farming in New England. So people had to head West and, and, and then you had, things like this happening like where it's a, a dark summer so they're all stuck indoors and they, mm. they start reading German ghost stories to each other and uh, uh, and it was also it was a happened to be a full moon and she was woken up by this full moon and that's what stimulated her dream of the dead person coming back to life so it was all worth it that volcano mm. erupted oh yes yeah yes. alright <laughs> we got so. great fiction out of it <laughs> Thousands died, but we got <laughs> Hey, you know what? They would have been dead by now anyway, and we've still got yeah. this film. So, and the books. Obviously, the books are based on. So, um, so that, um, that sort of sets the stage for what's about to happen. And, um, and it picks up at the wreckage of the mill. Mm-hmm. Um, it literally picks up where it le- left off. And in my original notes, I'm like this... Um, this grouse-headed woman, the woman who, <laughs> who we find out later is called Minnie. Yes. Um, talk about chewing the scenery. <laughs> this this woman. <laughs> and, and my my recollection was, oh, she pops up once or twice, and uh, you know, she she kind of makes a little bit of a scene. She's the Jar Jar Binks of this film. She's just sort of. I, I didn't want. I didn't feel hostile towards her like I do with <laughs> certain Star Wars characters. But, uh, yeah, she's much more obnoxious in Invisible Man. I can't wait to see that again. That's yeah. a good mind eraser for me because I barely remember Invisible Man from I've when I was a kid. I've seen Invisible Man. Um, it's been a long, long time now. Yeah, she's she's extra shrieky. I remember that. his footprints were shoe prints in the snow yeah. when he was supposed to be nude. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> well, he was almost nude. Well, maybe they made I'm... them reshoot it for decency. So. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I always wondered. He's running around in the snow, nude. Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem like a great plan. 
Well, he's invisible. He doesn't have to worry about shrinkage. (laughs) He would be. Yeah. So, so we've got uh, Minnie, the grouse. Mm -hmm. uh, And the reason I made a note that she was the grouse headed woman is she has this weird headdress on. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to call that thing that sticks up from the top of her head like a grouse has that little well where and when is this this movie set it's kind of middle europe yeah yeah that was the other thing i thought it was set you know uh 1816 1817 um but later it appears that no it's set in the 30s right yeah yeah you have uh elizabeth is dressed in 30s fashion Mm -hmm. right but then the fresh corpse that carl pulls out he says it's 1899 right and that's the only exposition we get to give us any and, idea and at all assume it's fresh because right. they use it so yeah. i thought it was a skeleton um, oh so that because they, they say the skeleton is strong don't they yes they pull out a skeleton and they say when did she die and uh-huh. she says uh carl mm-hmm. the henchman dwight fry uh <laughs> yes uh they they open it and it's skeleton and they say she died in 1899 okay. and he's like well she looked like she had strong bones or something like that I don't remember actually seeing the corpse they uh, they do yet say, there's like, somebody already in the uh, in the mausoleum there who looks much fresher like she had died a day or two before right. Right. that Frankenstein loving, lovingly strokes her face <laughs> yes. at, or Frankenstein's monster mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all going to catch ourselves doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of odd. I didn't know when it was set. They also have a telephone, which they explained to <laughs> Henry. Yes. Right. Uh, you know, it seemed like an odd thing to yeah, throw so in there. Yeah, an electronic device with which she can speak to you. Yeah. This kind of, why didn't you just have her there chained to the wall? Mm-hmm. It would have solved a lot of problems. Although I guess she shows up at the end. Yeah, she has, to, she has to knock at the door. She suddenly shows up from the cave at the end. Yes, they don't show her escaping from no. the from the guy who, who I guess was Carl, who's thrown off the top of the castle. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a little kid telling a story, isn't it? You know, it's like, and then actually this happened. Well, there's quite a, there's a few continuity errors, and you can see where things were cut that they had to patch over yeah that that would explain it like um there's there was a whole subplot with cole being the killer of some of the victims and he blames it on the creature and uh but then they cut that subplot out so that at one point he calls himself a murderer but you don't know what he's actually done um yes but the the so the monster just gets blamed for everything straight up yeah he gets the heart from a living girl who was walking down the street yes. he, mm-hmm. it implies that he strangled her but so does that give it does that give us location because um i have it somewhere here in my notes the the price that um uh, i think pretorius throws it out there that a thousand uh, crowns a thousand what's a crown so a, a crown would have been at the time it would have been austro-hungarian okay i'm not sure how much it's worth in today's money but so this could be hungary um, with the dirndls and the lederhosen, so, it could be Germany. Yeah, <laughs> we it, don't know. They refer, refer to burgomasters yeah. and barons, um, mm-hmm. right? And baronesses. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's some fantasy Europe of vague time Europe period. Europe of Hollywood. It's, yeah, it's a mishmash. It's like that um, 
a lot of that Europe you got in some of the Miyazaki movies where it's, mm. uh, it's kind of vaguely Mediterranean, yeah, <laughs> Austrian, yeah. So, so the introduction of the monster in this in this movie is after um, there's a lot of posturing from the Burgomaster, Burgum Burgomaster, I think is how they spell it. Burgomaster. It's supposed Burgum to be Burgomaster, yes, but it's I think they keep referring to him as the Burgomaster. <laughs> And I think that's how it's credited. I'm not sure. But anyway, this guy, this guy who runs the town apparently is um, having a little banter with um, uh, Minnie, who's um, flouncing about being the Jar Jar Binks of the movie. Mm-hmm. Woo! You know? And uh, and then he leaves and there's this guy with a hat who is walking with a cane and wants to see and he wants to make sure the monster's dead. He falls in the ruin of the mill, yeah. splashes in the water. And monster kills him. And they're talking about their dead girl. So that implies they, that they were the, Maria's yeah. parents. Is that what it was? The That's the little the girl who, yeah. Oh, okay. But they're different. He's a different actor, definitely. That's mm-hmm. that's why he wasn't so easy to spot. Because he wasn't the same guy. Yeah. Right. So so um, the monster emerges from around the corner in the underground part of the ruin. Yeah, you see his hand come out from behind yeah. a rock. And then his face, and then when they were, when they were filming on the very first day, Boris Karloff injured his hip. I read about that. Yeah. And they, yeah, he dislocated his hip, and they. Yeah, and and uh, Colin Clive busted his leg as well, which is oh, why really? he spent so much of the movie in a bed. I, I wondered at some scene he's he's really limping. Yeah, and I, I that thought, too. well, that's you know from being thrown from the windmill. He's <laughs> doing a really good job. I didn't know he had actually busted his right. leg. Yeah, and and uh, in the first movie, Karloff had really done his back in. He he suffered from that the rest of his life from carrying Colin Clive or his or his double up the stairs in that windmill over and over again. Ah, and, yeah, and he suffered from that forever. That sounds like a Stanley Kubrick move. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, hit him with the axe again. But yeah, you know, I'm, you know, it must be one of the reasons he only played the creature three times. You know, it's just <laughs> so painful. So, um, so what I I made a note here that um, Henry's supposed body was brought in. You know, amidst all this activity of mm-hmm. cops and horses and people on balconies and Minnie um, flouncing about some more. Uh, you I know. think that's where Walter Brennan is. That's where I think I spotted him. Oh. He's one of that crowd who turns up when they bring Henry up to the castle. I think. I don't know. Do you think um, Minnie's trying to steal the thunder when she shrieks out, It's alive! <laughs> Come on, that's not your line. I mean, that's, you don't get to say that. Um, so Elizabeth is sad, distraught, and um, Minnie is screaming, He's alive! But she also uh, says refers to things, dead things, over and over as well. Mm. Like we're not all dead yet. And, <laughs> we are the Walking Dead, I think, is what she says. One extreme or the other. So, it turns out Henry is not dead. Victor slash Henry. Mm-hmm. Well, he was dead, but he was quickly upgraded. <laughs> he was to living. <laughs> he was retconned from from dead to critical to. Uh, stable Slightly to injured. to perfectly fine. Yeah, she doesn't need to cancel that honeymoon trip. So by yeah. the so so by the time he meets Pretorius, he's got a hangnail and everything's fine. Um, so Henry's in bed, and mm-hmm. um, like an addict, he gets right back to his talk of reanimation, 
And, um, of course, Elizabeth tells him it's blasphemous and wicked. Mm-hmm. And the things she's saying that he's saying, um, it's the devil that prompts him, she says. Yes. And all of this um, lofty uh, talk. And um, she thinks she sees something and she screams. Yes. I think they plan to have like a, a grim reaper or something appearing. But they they don't go that far. I yeah, I didn't see anything, and I rewound it, and still didn't see anything. No, they, they don't actually show anything. She like right. points around the room and and gets all hysterical. You know, they're quite a couple. So she's hallucinating, or something, or you know, she's she's uh, paranoid and fainty. So she fashionably faints, and then um, we get to see Doctor Pretorius mm-hmm. enter the movie, and this is where things get good. Um, so uh, he shows up looking sinister and very tall. Um, a giant of a man in his day, five foot eleven, I think. And they also show it from a low angle. Well, yeah, one of the, at least one of the angles is really low. I can hear that. <laughs> oh, that's uh, the, that's Will's mic stand, um, looking very tall and sinister. Um, so Pretorius, um, first impressions, having not watched the movie for a few years, did you remember him being this sinister looking? Uh, no, I don't remember him at all. Wow. Really? Talk about mind erasing. Uh, and I was quite thrilled when he had the homunculi that he had <laughs> created. And I wondered why they didn't uh, do more with that. For, for our listeners, it's not homunculuses, it's homunculi. Yes. Homunculi? He has a king and a queen <laughs> and an archbishop and the devil. Yes. No, correction. Devil. 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 It's a devil. We could all be devils. And the king is uh, kind of based on Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because he's eating like a, a turkey leg. Famous, uh, I think, Oscar-winning role for Charles Lawton. Oh. Just recently, and he was married to Elsa Lanchester. Ah. So, um, very dramatic lighting. Pretorius walking into the um, yeah into the, the house. The, the lighting just loves his face and all those angular features and picking out the like lines in his face it's just that, great the bunt cake hairdo that he has yeah that's right my <laughs> eyes are always on him whenever he's in a scene oh yeah yeah he's he steals every scene he's in just based on his appearance and the way they light him um henry seems to be familiar with him uh it turns out that <clears throat> pretorius was the doctor of philosophy at the university and was booted out <laughs> for, for knowing too much he explains mm-hmm. um so and in real life he'd been the theatrical master of james well in that, england i think yeah. that makes a lot of sense i mean it, they definitely seem um uh, kindred spirits uh, james well and this who you could say is actually the lead in this <laughs> he's he seems like the male lead mm-hmm. i mean he's yeah, of, he dominates it. I mean, yeah. he's he's on screen way more than the uh, creature or right or the uh, the good doctor himself. So, did anyone else notice um, what I thought was a smoking jacket? But Henry's actually wearing a robe, like a satin robe with an ascot. Yeah, yeah, and he's got a, a coat of arms on his yeah, crest of, there. Yeah, a crest on it. Yeah, like was that common practice in the eighteen hundreds or nineteen thirties or whenever this was set? I mean. I feel like that's gotten lost along the way. The smoking jacket? Yeah. Yeah, and Sherlock Holmes is always wearing those, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the only one kind of upholding anything even remotely similar is uh, Hugh Hefner. I mean, otherwise it's been completely lost. And uh, 
Uh, I believe we, Hugh Hefner was born in the 1850s. <laughs> Ask any one of his wives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and Elizabeth is sharing his bedroom. It doesn't say she's actually sharing his bed, but she's near enough to him to to know that he's not sleeping well. Mm. So she's at least keeping an eye on him. Mm-hmm. Real close eye, I suspect. So um, Pretorius is sort of provoking uh, Henry slash blackmailing him, kind of wants him to get back in the game of reanimation. Well, he knows that he he can pull him back into it, doesn't he? Yeah. It seems like it. Yeah, he, he doesn't protest too much right. before he's off. It wasn't a huge nudge that he needed. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of felt that way to me too. So um, Pretorius... Uh, explains uh and i I'm sorry i took so many notes on this but the dialogue was amazing yes you and i have gone too far to stop he says um nor nor can it be stopped so easily well no kidding it didn't take any any prompting at all and and then uh henry is like all right well, let's go up, mm-hmm. in, up in the car no carriage uh, the, yeah they take a carriage i believe <laughs> yeah yes there's telephones but there's carriages they, yeah so they go into that old uh, that set that I mentioned before. Yes, where Pretorius has his experiments, which he wants to show off. Um, and having not seen the movie for a few years, I forgot about the humunc- homunculi. Homunculi. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a beautiful effect. It really was. Yeah, it was a fantastic effect. And when he picks up the king, yeah. I think that was some of the best effects in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, he just... He, Picks him up picks with some forceps and yeah. puts him in the jar. And yeah, yeah, apparently, uh, Japanese censors objected to that because it was a mistreatment of a king. <laughs> huh. Oh, really? Yeah. They have a different set of rules for but everything. Not mistreatment of a devil. <laughs> no, the devil can get tweezered all all you want to tweeze it. So, um, so these jars come out of this real coffin-looking case. Mm-hmm. It looks like a child's coffin. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Because he carries it up, and it's all dramatic-looking. And it's yeah. like, what you kind think, of oh, thing is he got? What is this? <laughs> and having not watched the movie in a few years, I was like, oh. Yeah. And then he's got these jars with tiny people in them. Yeah, I've forgotten all about that. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and uh, I had to turn the commentary on to find out like exactly how does one do this in 1935, make something look like a miniature human and they did have some uh, explanation as to how they filmed this and matted it in. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, easy to do uh, that. So it's John Fulton, right. Invisible Man effects with the shoes and everything. Uh. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so they, they had the uh, the actors um, in you know, full size jars, and uh, and they like used rotoscoping and matting to match them in it's beautifully beautifully lined up it really yeah. it worked well it really looks good <clears throat> for yeah. 80 years ago oh yeah i mean even today i'm uh, yeah i mean look yeah it's completely convincing and what what that tells us is nobody has an excuse for not making something look good now with everything we have at our disposal there's no reason that that somebody can't make something look like what it's supposed to look I mean, like in today's figures what this movie was made for just over eight million, something like in, that. In today's in dollars, today's money. yeah. In today's crowns, crowns, <laughs> crowns is that? How, how many million crowns would that be? So, um, so Henry sort of uh, protests that this is not 
science. It's more like black magic, mm. which is kind of funny because, you know, this is just outside his his scope of what he's done with reanimation. And, and uh, Pretorius explains that he grew these things in a Petri dish, sort of. He grew these creatures. From seed. From seed. From seed. <laughs> <laughs> which what? from his mouth, you, you wonder, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's not talking about herbs and flowers here. right no. he, he, i think he takes a, a little delight in uh in, in that and he's also, quite evil evil <laughs> <laughs> and he has that because he originally says he refers to the bible as fairy stories but they, the censor made them change that oh to bible stories but the way he says bible stories yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he definitely kind of uh turns the dial a little on that doesn't he so after all this lofty conversation it's revealed that they're going to create woman mm-hmm. so all right cool let's so let's... they can make a race of monsters yes yeah so um so we cut to uh to the monster lumbering through this scenic landscape with this whimsical music and there's sheep prancing about and there's a waterfall and it kind of like a Kincaid painting and, but it's in black and white. Oh, how um, rude. The shepherd girl um, sees the monster and freaks out, falls in a pond. Not his fault, which kind of is a running theme in this movie besides Minnie freaking out and um, the monster kind of lumbering through scenes where he doesn't really intend any harm. Yeah, he's like a clumsy kid. And right. You like, you like smack people and they die when he's upset but we're trying to shut them up and suffocate them that sort of thing so he doesn't know his own strength he doesn't really understand the impact of his appearance and throughout the movie he's largely just misunderstood Mm -hmm. and mistreated um is he the monster well he's called that but right it's called the monster but was he as misunderstood in the first one um, I think so. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. I mean, he spoke a lot less, so it was... Well, yeah, he didn't speak at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, uh, evidently, uh, Karloff didn't want him to speak at all. Mm-hmm. He did give a lot of protest to that. Yeah, and he had to take his plate out of his mouth in the first one, so he had real sunken cheeks. Yes. And they didn't do that in this one, which I noticed... Uh, in the very first scene where in there below the windmill in the water, he yucks out a yell and you can see all his teeth. And I don't, I don't remember that in the, in the original. I, was, I went and looked it up. Oh, he, he looked different there. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> so, yeah. And he also, because he'd become famous from that movie, he could afford to eat. Mm. He'd been like starving before then. So... So the monster saves this shepherd girl, actually, from the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he's trying to help her, all she's doing is screaming because of his appearance. And uh, he tries to shut her up, and I'm not sure that he kills her here. Did it seem that way to you? I don't okay. believe he kills her. I think the hunters arrive and save her. Yeah. So maybe she just fashionably fainted for a moment. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's like, his left hand is all... like it's got all his burns on it it's kind of stiff like he when he tries to drink he mm-hmm. can't use his left hand he has to switch hands right and he's trying to calm her but he's got his like great hands that he's clubbing her with <laughs> and, you know, and then he gets shot helping. in the same arm mm-hmm. burned yeah, one. naturally 
In, not a good day. Adding injury to injury. <laughs> and then the, that's the, the pair of hunters that are just um, out looking for whatever they're hunting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shoot the monster in the arm, grazing him. Um, and suddenly there's a crazy mob forming. Now, there was one in the first movie. Is this the first occurrence that either of you have ever noticed a, a crazy mob with pitchforks and sticks and torches and... Is it first in a movie? Yeah. No, I. I imagine they were in there may, earlier films. Yeah, we would not we would, the same crowd. Let's but. pay attention as we watch other movies. <laughs> yeah, they use different extras. I mean, there's definitely surging crowd scenes in. You know some of the Fritz Lang movies. We'll we'll have to watch um, some of this stuff and see if we can spot like the presence of pitchforks and. But I, I think these Universal movies would have been the ones that made the. Uh, the angry village mob famous, wouldn't they? Yes. At least. Maybe they didn't invent it, but they certainly perfected it. Because, And there's a lot more rakes than there are pitchforks. So when you hear people say pitchforks, no, say rakes. It's more accurate. Um, so we were talking before re- recording, um, Julian and I were, um, about how the forest goes from lovely and lush and there's lambs and whimsical music to all of a sudden when shit goes sideways the forest is scary and dead and it's basically phone poles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that came very expressionistic there. Yeah. And so it was taking a page from the German expressionists. Uh, and then arguably does he happen upon the hermits? Not yet. Um, he gets sort of, uh, chased up a small hill. Oh no, that's right. They, they yeah, capture so, him. Yeah, yeah, he does the him he, like, like, rolls time a rock to down him treated. Yeah, this is post. Now, this is the thing that people who are film students and critics and uh, experts say that this is meant to sort of look like a crucifixion scene. Where uh, and I'd say that was pretty obvious. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely martyr Christian martyr imagery. Mm-hmm. He's not quite crucified. He's got his hands up. Up, yeah, and he's tied to a pole, and they're carrying him around. And they, when they raise him up, uh, it it definitely kind of harkens to that that same sort of pose of someone being crucified. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely uh, uh, he's kind of this dark not not an antichrist, but a, a dark mirror because he's he's dead then brought to life and yeah, right. There's there is definitely the resurrection theme going on there. So um, they're carrying him on this. He's tied to this this phone pole looking thing, and and they they chuck him into this um, hayride wagon, mm-hmm. and they're gonna take him to jail. Basically, you know who wants to be sure they got him, and then he doesn't get loose because he might do some damage or hurt someone. Minnie, yes, <laughs> there's Minnie again. <laughs> now they've got this ready-made uh, chair in the jail, which is just his size. It's, yeah, yeah, what a coincidence. Hey, didn't hold him very long. We should though. build a big chair in case a big dude needs to be tied to it. I mean, no wonder that like this mob is so easy to form. And, you know, they must yeah. have uh, a history of these giant rampaging villages going back. Yeah, or a, or a burning desire to use their giant chair, finally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With the neck lock device. Right chains and manacles and things they weren't very good ones no he got out way too easily it's a, it's a great looking jail though with a yeah twisty window and yeah it's good stuff yeah so they they've been sticking and stoning him and 
and then uh, somebody demands they take him down to the old dungeon. I think it's the police chief or whatever you call him in this yeah, fictitious Burgomaster world. guy again. Was it the Burgomaster? Burgomaster? Yeah, because <laughs> he, he's always like running around wanting to be the guy in charge that everyone listens to and everyone's kind of laughing at him behind his back yes. or, or uh, Minnie's mocking him. Or... So he's like an alderman or something. He's, he has a title, but no one really knows what it means. And he doesn't really have any real authority. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So he, so he's very insistent that, you know, that they don't go, that they don't waste too much time on this whole scene. Oh yeah, that was the thing. He he considered it all nonsense, it seemed, and he was ready to go do deal with other real problems. I think he had a barbecue that he wanted to get to. Something. That's yeah, so one of the things that uh, when you watch these movies from like, um, especially the thirties, they they move along so fast. I mean. He's he's captured and put in jail, then immediately busts out. Yes. Uh, well, not before a certain someone pops up in the window gabbing. Yeah. <laughs> Guess who? Yeah, that's many. one of the moments uh, I noticed this time around of um, where they've dubbed a dialogue on afterwards, and you can see that she's not actually speaking, but because uh. Uh, that happens with Pretorius a bit later on, where he's he's not saying something, but they've put a bit of bridging dialogue on afterwards to cover a transition that would make sense yes because it, yeah, it, it's all it's a little a little disjointed it seems so the cops all leave just you know uh let's get out of here we got mm -hmm. stuff to do um so these these great shackles and chains and neck devices made of big thick wood last all of about another 10 seconds yes. <laughs> before the monster destroys he rips chains right out of the stone and then he pulls the door off its hinges yeah, yeah. he busts through two doors and yeah and he's out so he goes rampaging knocks down a guy who has a rifle and then we're off to the yeah, well minnie shoves him in harm's way doesn't she, <laughs> that's she right. goes, oh yes she, shoot him shoot him shoot him <laughs> shoot shoves him, him. Mm -hmm. that's right and gets his and neck he doesn't broken. even get a chance to shoot him <laughs> So she gets about 27 minutes of screen time, uh, and, the, and the the bride actually gets yeah, four. She, four. Yeah. yeah. Right at the end. Yeah. She's not actually the bride, is she? Or is what, she? The, uh, Elsa Lanchester character, is she considered the bride? Yeah. Well, it is ambiguous. Like Even in the posters, they show her and Elizabeth. Yeah, because Elizabeth. So Elizabeth's the actual bride of Frankenstein. Right. Yeah, so, okay. The monster isn't Frankenstein, and the bride of Frankenstein isn't the, the female monster. Right. Yeah. Oh, and in the novel, she doesn't even get off the table. He, he yeah. tears her to bits oh, before he even. He does not take rejection well, but we'll get to that. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the doctor tears her to bits. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Because he goes up to the uh, Orkneys and uh, to work on making the bride for his creation because he's kind of been talked into it and uh and then uh he has second thoughts and uh, and second and third thoughts and then uh, tears her apart before she's even brought to life so um we are suddenly cutting to the gypsy camp where they're mm -hmm. trying to cook a chicken over an open fire <laughs> well that's to bridge the gap where um the carl character uh, he's the nephew and he kills his aunt and uncle i think mm. And then, and then you have this peculiar scene where they, the villagers go into it, go into a house, and they find these two people have been oh, killed. Oh yes. And uh, it, you know, you assume it's the monster, 
uh, in the original cut, it was Cole. Ah. Ah. And he blames the monster. Which, which really... So then they shot the gypsy scene to bridge. Okay. The Newmans, I believe, were their name. Yes. <laughs> Frau Newman and, yeah. and Mr. Newman. And then none of them got any chicken. The monster didn't even get any chicken because he knocks no. it. He knocks yeah. it into the fire, and of course he's very um, uh, pyrophobic. Pyrophobic. I was trying to think of the word for it, but yeah. The, the gypsy guy clubs him with a flaming torch, which doesn't yes. help. That only provokes him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we get that scene, and then um, uh, we're off to wandering to. Oh wait, there's music, mm. and uh, this lovely violin music or fiddle. Uh, draws the monster, soothes the savage beast, and he's drawn to this little house where a blind hermit lives. And that's a that's another weird continuity bit. If you watch where he's where he's coming up to the hut and you're looking at it, the creature from behind, mm-hmm. uh, like in the bright foreground, there's this foliage like ferns or something poking out. And while he's still walking, in the same shot, the ferns disappear suddenly. I rewound it a few times. It's like. Was that superimposed or something? Huh. And they dropped it because it, I didn't see any jump in his walking. It's it's kind of weird. They might have had to do some reshoots. Have to go back and watch that. <laughs> so, um, so the hermit uh, welcomes him. Uh, whoever you are, he says. Hmm. Uh, so he's he's not ready to judge anybody. He's not ready to turn anybody away. He basically doesn't care. He has nothing to lose. He's a very happy person. Um, blindness doesn't get him down. And um, he he promises this stranger who hasn't said anything yet, no one will hurt you here. Mm-hmm. So come on in. Let's do this. And, and yeah. he's, he's dressed like an old prophet, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. And he's got the beard and he's got the crucifix in the wall. Right. So, and uh, so uh, he teaches some words to the monster. Uh, teaches him how to smoke, which he <laughs> he loved. Before, and he before. loved wine, which is great how much he dribbled down the front. Yeah, he couldn't get a sure. drink. His drinking problem, two hands and only one mouth. Yes. <laughs> That's what... And then the hunters show up again. But wait, there's there's an important point to be made here. After this crucifixion sort of implication, here he is with this prophet-looking dude having not just wine, but bread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's got the full Eucharist thing going on yes. here. Yes, and the, the sacred cigar as well. The secret, yes. <laughs> so, so go ahead. I'm sorry. So then the hunters show up looking for directions. Yeah, so John Carradine. Oh, was it? Yeah, yep, definitely worth mentioning. Younger looking hunter. Okay. For all for all, all the listeners, that's Kung Fu's dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So John John Carradine's in dozens and dozens and dozens of movies, especially as as his life went on. Worse and worse movies. Yes. And uh, yeah. He, and he, some Wonder Woman episodes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and he's in Stagecoach. And, yeah. But he was in uh, Grapes of Wrath. Mm-hmm. And The Howling. Yeah. Well, there you go. Two classics. <laughs> Two classics. <laughs> there you go. So so yeah he so he comes in and uh, of course shit goes sideways again. Um. You've said the S word twice. Oh. Sideways. So um, so things get all fucked up. 
Yes, and they, they, they catch the poor hermit's house on fire, and it goes up like it's been soaked in kerosene. Yeah, when he comes out, there's this like huge gout of flame. Like yeah. The gas tank has just gone up, and it almost takes the top of his head off. Yeah, it's like, like, the monster knocks accidentally knocks a weird broom into the fireplace, uh, is, is what it looked like. It yeah, like, something one, like that. One of those big, long plants that people use as a broom mm-hmm. in old movies. And did he mean to do it? Did he well, mean he's, to catch he's having a fight with two he's fighting the two who, uh, hunters yeah. yeah yeah Kung Fu's dad is going crazy and you know really he had more to do with it than the monster the monster was just boozing it up and demanding yeah, more he, violin music just get the and idea I thought of being that happy poor, that poor hermit now has nowhere to live right right they drag him out no friend yeah. no house Vi- violins going up in smoke and mm-hmm. it's a bad day yeah so they were having this happy existence for a couple of minutes and then then the norms come along there was no blind man in the first one was there no no okay is is the because in the in the book he like he hides and observes a farm family for a while and learns about families and a bit of language and ah there's no blind hermit in there is there i don't think so i read it for a while it's yeah i've read it when I was probably about 12 or 13. Okay. So we're off to a great um, cemetery scene. This is, this yes, is gorgeous. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. I think it's that you can see that angel of death from the first one. Mm-hmm. They reuse that prop. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he was supposed to pull down that crucifix you see. Right. Because he sees like the suffering figure and he pulls that down. But the censor made them change it, so instead he knocks over a bishop. Yeah, so he pushes the bishop over, which kind of pries open this uh, sort of uh, doorway into a magnificent roomy crypt. Mm. It's an amazing crypt. I Um, like it in here. Yeah. (laughs) Pretorius does say that, doesn't (laughs) Mm -hmm. he? Yeah, he's he's quite at home there. In fact, he makes himself uh, a little snack. Mm -hmm. And then he says his only... Vice is smoking. Yeah. So <laughs> I wanted to, to put a drinking. yeah. I wanted yeah. to put a pin in that earlier. When <laughs> drinking gin is his only vice. Yes. And I think that comes from the old dark house. Yes. His femme character. Yeah. So so now smoking is his only vice. Um, so uh, Dwight Fry's character um, reveals the, the the date, like we said earlier. So now mm. we know that this movie is no older than 1899. And well, the setting of this movie yeah the, the time that it's set yeah in. it's definitely uh in the you know ahead of when mary's telling the story yeah so so we know that they can have telephones and mm-hmm. maybe even cars it's amazing she foresaw the telephone yeah <laughs> she was kind well, of like, fashions of the 30s i mean uh, at, at the time like uh uh, one of her inspirations was, was uh, galvanism, which is mm-hmm. 1805 was the first papers came out where they'd put electric current into frog legs, dead, right? Well, actual dead prisoners from like, oh, okay. I think Newgate, where they'd, uh, they had this, um, so they brought ladies and gentlemen to witness this corpse of a dead prisoner being hit with electricity and then his eyes were flickering and he was kind of, Jiggling about and making people like flee and throw up and faint. It's, uh, yeah, so that, that was pretty big news at the time. Actual fainting, not the 
fashionable style. I want to imagine those poor women were having to cut out ribs to squeeze in those horrible corsets, <laughs> and I, I'd have been fainting every day if I had to wear those things. What people will do, I swear. So um, the monster wants to bum a smoke. Um, mm. The only weakness of Pretorius. Of course, he's got an extra, you know, being that it's his... I think they're gin-soaked cigars. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so he gets a double whammy there. So... Um, so the monster has bread and wine again, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So is this the last supper? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, you know, that, and they're out there waiting to get him. We know this. Um, He's willing to work for uh, Pretorius. <laughs> yeah. Pretty he's, quickly for a couple cigars and some wine. Yeah. And he's, he's desperate for... A friend. Friendship, even if it's a mad scientist. Yeah, the doctor fully recruits him. Um, the monster is looking over the skull, and uh, and he says he basically wants a woman, friend, wife. Okay, so um, then we're off to Elizabeth uh, trying to send Pretorius away, and Henry wanting out for reals. He doesn't want to do this anymore. Suddenly, he's he's had his mind changed. Um, the monster is introduced to this because we've cut to the scene at back at the castle. Um, the monster is introduced and there's this stern conversation. Uh, and, uh, just as quickly, the monster is sent away. Just go outside. Pretorius is just like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. What well, he says now, but then he, he tells him now because he's got a plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, think, actually, I missed that. He's actually sending yeah. the monster next door to kidnap to get Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because I thought this is a little unsafe. Just going, just go outside somewhere, mm-hmm. go do stuff. No, no, he had him go kidnap Elizabeth. That was his plan. Yes. Okay, all right. And that then... happened off camera, and I missed it somehow. So I get to wear the dunce cap for a moment here. Um, so, uh, so he's doing this. He's going to go terrorize the Baroness, and uh, Pretorius uh, basically is just like. The Baroness will be safely returned. Just shut up. Keep it on the DL, you know. Let's let's go make more reanimated corpses. So we're off to the lab. White coats, dramatic lighting, all that. I seem to remember in the book the monster killed Elizabeth, or whatever her name is in the book. Yes. And I think that they wanted to have, or James Rowe had an idea for her heart to be the one that was used for the bride. I wondered about that. That did seem like that would have been a great opportunity, and it yeah. didn't happen. So Instead, Carl goes out and gets a fresh one. Yeah. Good old Carl. Yeah, I, I like the like kind of sitcom situation where uh, Carl's about to blab. <laughs> oh, yeah, she was really fresh. And he, he drops the tools in the uh, surgeon's tray. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, she was extra fresh. Yeah, yeah he says, like, uh, oh, it was a police case or something. Mm-hmm, yeah, there is. Some... So what are you getting on with, you know? Yeah, Pretorius, like, mouths it to Changes him. the conversation, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So we've got... Um, yeah, the heart in the tank wasn't working. They had to replace that. That that little job paid a thousand crowns, which we've established was probably Hungarian money. Yeah, that that would have been Austro-Hungarian currency at the time. Right. Okay. I don't know how much it's, it is in today's dollars. So the monster starts bossing Henry around, telling him what to do, and then uh, to kind of uh, 
sort of a, put a stop to this, um, Pretorius slips slips him a Mickey, gives him. I guess he gives the creature wine with something in it. Mm. Yeah, I kind of wondered like what knocked him out so fast. And he, yeah. he's knocked out, and then uh, they just throw a blanket over the top. Mm-hmm. Of him. Yeah, they just tuck him in. <laughs> Like over his head and everything. Yeah, he'll be fine. And, and he's he's this naive kid because like Pretorius doesn't hide that he's, he's no, he didn't hide it at all. He <laughs> pours it right in there and gives yeah. it to him, <laughs> like full on mad scientist style. Just yeah. sploop. Here, drink this. <laughs> right, and out like a light. So that being the case, um, they can get on with their work, and this is where the um, where the wonderful uh, machines of Kenneth Strickfadden go into use. And this is all the Tesla coil kind of sparking, arcing. Mm-hmm. Um, but these kites, all right, they're going to they're gonna try and catch lightning with these kites that they send up. Yeah, so they send up Carl and Ludwig to fly the kites off right. in, in the middle of a lightning storm. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah, crank these cables and fly these metal kites, conductive kites in the middle of the storm. Did the, did the kite contraption look goofy to either of you? They looked like old old bike box kites. I mean, I mean, it just it seemed a little silly to me that they would be. Well, know. it seemed a little silly because they just released them from the top of the castle and they float up like they're <laughs> like filled with helium or yes. something. There, <laughs> or being pulled by wires, perhaps. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's, I mean, you can tell it's a, a miniature. Well, sure. Uh, it's a good visual. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a fun visual, but it just seemed like it was a. I guess they're mad scientists. What do I expect? They're going to do some some goofy contraptions. Mm-hmm. So they got the kites going. They got electricity arcing down where they need it through these Tesla contraptions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she gets hoisted up, like, outside the castle, like, up in the sky. So they've got all of this stuff going on. And uh, the spark of life is going to happen because of all this electricity. So they, they've got it figured out. It's going to work. they got the right amount of juice flowing in. Um, now, my notes here say, oh, snap, the monster is awake. Yep, she wakes up and they promptly... No, the monster. Um, the Frankenstein monster, the male one. Oh, he wakes up too, yeah. And he books it right up to the top of the castle. And chucks Carl off. Yeah, Just... Carl off. <laughs> Hey, did you see what you did there? So he uh, chucks Karloff. Karloff chucks Karloff. Yep. For no real good reason. Yeah, that, that felt a bit clunky to me as well. Yeah, yeah, I think they were just trying to get rid of Carl. It's like, how do we write him out of this? Yeah, they, yeah. and they could just like have them all just been blown up at the end, but they had to put that scene in and he's I kind of superimposed over the I think they miniature. did that because... I believe Carl was the one holding Elizabeth hostage in the cave. Hmm. So they had to punish him. So they had to get rid of him. I mean, he went to hell. Oh, okay. So she could then escape. I believe that's what they were going for. But yeah, it did seem kind of random that he he showed up and threw him off the the uh, tower there. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed a little rushed. <clears throat> it was a more realistic looking dummy this time, wasn't it? Not much. Yeah, a little bit, like 10% more real looking? No. <laughs> I think it was the exact same one they used with the first. Just redressed. Yeah. I always go. wondered about that. Did they not think that they were that stiff when they made those dummies? Or 
I mean, how much did they work on these? Was there a guy going, I could have made a better dummy. It looked like a real body. I've seen someone tossed off a tower and it did not look like that. You know, I I think your average theater goer was sitting there in the 1930s thinking that. I could probably. That's nothing like real life. Yeah. So we're so we're back in in um, in the lab where they're uh, lowering uh, the bride back down, um, and we get the "She's Alive" line once again, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, he only says it twice in this one, though. Right. Um, so they they tilt her up in this um, contraption, this bed thing. And we see this very mummy style wrapping that they've done, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about how fashionable the motif of, of Egyptian stuff was even still 10 years later after the discovery of King Tut's tomb. Wow. Yeah. It kicked off all the art deco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The art deco movement was, was um, full of all kinds of cool Egyptian stuff. So it makes sense that they did this. Mm-hmm. I guess it also makes sense that they made the mummy. <laughs> yes. So, um, so they're, so basically they're going to check it out and see if it worked. And the first thing we see is her eyes. Mm-hmm. So they take the, the bandage off and we see her eyes pop open and we're, we're good to go. And then yeah. it jump cuts to where these two fellas have done up her hair and given her a nice dress. That yeah. was the best part in the whole movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're holding the, this, this kind of gown, this bed sheet uh, out and it does look like they're, uh, they immediately, now they immediately decide to plan a monster wedding right mm-hmm. yeah. and, and you get that big cue like that Franz Waxman cue where it's like this wedding uh, theme that mm-hmm. blares out it's yeah. great great reveal yeah it's pretty spectacular I yeah. gotta say I mean it's and, and then Elsa Lanchester's um, movements I, uh, I did a little reading and it said that she based them on just the way a bird moves its head around she uh, her and Charles Lawton used to feed the swans at Regent's Park and uh, one thing she noticed was if you got too close to the uh, the the children, they do this hiss. Mm-hmm. They do the hiss for the um, her hiss she does to yeah. poor old uh, monster. At She's the end. what like six feet tall at the end there. Yeah, they, they, like, <laughs> they have her up on a box because the obviously. actress is like just over five feet. Yeah, and they so they they stacked her up on these things which they hid under the dress. And, yeah, She's seven foot something. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty dramatic. I don't know if that includes the headdress. The yeah, ne- I don't know. Nefertiti. They made that out of horse hair and wire. I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's like this cage on the. Yeah, they blew. They blew their dummy budget on her hair. Is what they did. Possibly, because you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think if you threw that hairdo off of a windmill, it would. Look and then, uh, then what happens? Uh, um, well, enter the monster, monster shows up. Yeah. She doesn't like him. Right. Yeah, she, it goes terribly. Bad match. Yeah, she, she swipes left for sure. They definitely <laughs> filled out the wrong questionnaire when they were yeah, pairing yeah. up. Yeah, so he, he tries and says, friend, and she screams. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, he gives it another try, and uh, she screams again, and he, he delivers a line, she hate me. Mm. Okay, so he's figured it out pretty quick, and he does not take rejection well. Uh but there's a a, a lever. <laughs> yes. yes, it's the uh, we belong dead lever. Yes, yes. Now the lever. Why? <laughs> why it's a do massive you in- thing. Why do you install this in a castle? It's like one of those big red self-destruct buttons that like 
people like Dr. No would have in the 60s. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, what is the, lev- the lever for? And it, it blows them to atoms. I mean, the, yes. was it stored up electricity? What? Yeah, what is we... there like some ballast? I don't understand either. I so. didn't understand it, but man, that castle blew up. Mm. Several times. Over and over and yes, over. Yes, it did. It's a great uh, explosion. Yeah. Um, so the so the Baroness comes, Elizabeth, the Baroness, comes to save Henry. Now the monster's totally cool with this. He's not holding any grudges against Henry. Yeah, I think this is reshoot stuff to get him out alive. Yeah, he he should have died. Because like the guy he hates most in the entire planet is going, oh, you you should leave now, folks. Run Run along, be happy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I thought the whole, uh, I don't know, Henry Frankenstein was, they tried to make him good there in this movie, even though Mm -hmm. they'd spent the whole first movie him being mad. But Pretorius, you know. Pretorius, he he becomes the substitute for Henry. Mm -hmm. Right. You know. Maybe the monster just can't tell the difference. Maybe he just wants the most evil guy in the room to be the one that gets it. Maybe. But he tells him, you stay. We yes. belong dead. <laughs> right. And then we get um, the bride hissing like a swan. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Some great lighting. Yeah. Excellent lighting. And and we were talking about this earlier. Um, she, as Elsa Lanchester, as a monster is beautiful yes she's just gorgeous and there's there's no amount of scars and crazy makeup and ridiculous hairdos that take away her good looks it's amazing Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think that's what makes it a halloween favorite to this day is you can do a a sexy bride of frankenstein sure there's uh, yeah there's no reason not to very glamorous so many explosions and then um mr and mrs frankenstein they're not married yet are they They've just gotten married. They, they, they were just about to set out when Pretorius that's grabs him. They hug it out in the end. Now, yes, and he says, darling, darling. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that that's kind of putting a bow on it a little too easily, don't you think? Well, I, I, you know, as I say, it was originally he pulls the switch, everyone blows up. Uh, that's how it ended. And he even had the score uh, deliberately... Uh, written as an unfinished phrase um so uh it it cuts off and then um the i think the intent was the audience is wondering if something's happened in the theater because there's been this massive bang and uh, oh that's the end but uh you know because they put in this bit of henry frankenstein getting out with his his living bride um that's spoiled out a bit. So the Hollywood ending, once again, you know, this is something that's not new. Mm-hmm. The Hollywood ending that gets pasted on happened here 80 years ago, mm-hmm. as well as it being a sequel, which people do complain about sequels like it's a new thing. None of this is a new thing. Like uh, doing this whole retcon thing and giving it a, a different ending than what was written in the screenplay. Yeah, and, and you wouldn't get the... Like, um, especially in horror movies, you wouldn't get the downer ending where everyone's dead, uh, you know, until the Night of the Living Dead really kind of changed things. Yeah, that was a grim ending. Um, Spoiler alert, <laughs> the movie from 1968 has a grim ending. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think film noir would 
uh, end with tragedy more often than not. Yeah, they but, changed uh, a lot of those too. Yeah, yeah. Tell her they yeah. tacked on the happy ending where everybody was supposed to die in the end because mm-hmm. it's the only good way to end in noir. But uh, yeah, you, you wouldn't have. I, I don't think they'd have allowed that ending where the ostensible uh, normal people would die off at the end <laughs> of a horror movie back. In Although the I guess in the in the first Frankenstein, you know, we're we're led to believe that Henry died. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the monster, so yeah. Well, that, but that was a uh, pre-code, wasn't it? Because the code it was, had just yes. come in. It's like the same year as thirty-four, I believe, is when the code yeah. came out. It's the same year as Bride. You had films like Mark of the Vampire, where it oh, uh, spoiler alert, uh, it <laughs> turned out to be fake. Uh, like the Bela Lugosi and the the vampires turn out not to be real. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think they'd have allowed that ending in the, 1935. They they really did pick and choose what was okay and what wasn't. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Movies before 34, they were getting some pretty racy films out there, mm-hmm. including and not limited to the Spanish version of Dracula. That um, we're going to definitely have to talk about that one sometime. Um, Lots of cleavage. Back to the cleavage thing. <laughs> Holy moly, the cleavage in that movie. Um, that's a, a magnificent watch. Um, which brings me to the question, now that we've kind of gone scene by scene, which kind of didn't intend to do, but my notes sort of did that. Um, would you recommend this to somebody who is a fan of more modern horror? Mm. Like, just to give I'm them not- some background background perhaps i'm not sure that a fan of modern horror would enjoy this but i'm not really sure what a fan of modern horror horror would do or you know what they enjoy uh it's not gonna it's not gory right i was gonna say it's not gonna appeal to a gore hound obviously was it frightening back in its day was it considered a number of viewers said it was frightening but i I'm not sure. I, mean, I don't the know. The first how film definitely scared people. Frightening these films were. Because I, you know, obviously I didn't see them first run. Yeah. Uh, it's like Psycho, it's pretty much ruined for you by the time you watch it. Yeah. I think in its day it probably was quite scary because there was a there was definitely a feeling of peril that you would get from seeing this monster on the loose, you know, mm-hmm. that they weren't used to, you know, something like King Kong or Frankenstein, any of that stuff. Um, they didn't have a lot of frame of reference for it. And I mm. imagine it was quite scary in its time. But, uh, yeah. And, and uh, it would have been interesting to, I, I, I don't, I've not read anything about how uh, actual audiences reacted to this film. Um, you know, that on the first horror movies that came out, the thirties were definitely frightening to people but i don't know by the time bride came out and there'd be more comedies and become more established whether they would have still been frightened yeah i know i know on you could and just the concepts involved in the film are very dark and scary things and uh, Mm -hmm. they go into very dark places it's interesting to pick them out but yeah um yeah, I've, not, I've never found Bride frightening. 
No. But I think for horror fans who just like the genre, I would recommend it based on um, basically two things. You get a lot of great visuals, and the story moves along without too much um, talking and normal people and stuff. You get, you know, there's a lot of monsters and, yeah, you're, and you're, it's you're only mobs and whatnot. It's like an hour and 14 minutes, minutes yeah, long. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty dense, you know, what the material you get. So I would recommend it to horror f- fans and non-horror fans alike. On the, uh, I don't know if this will be out by then, but on the 21st, the Esquire is showing Bride of Frankenstein. Yes, we saw her painted on the front windows as yeah. we came. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we came up uh, sixth. So here in Denver, we have a great art house uh, cinema. Two o'clock and seven o'clock, I believe, are the showing times. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, the Esquire, apparently, the people who run that love Halloween, and they do. And then the week following is Nosferatu at the Mayan. Or as Blue Oyster Cult would have it, Nosferatu. <laughs> and they're showing a four monster movies at the library as well mm-hmm. i'm not sure if they're showing them from disc or film believe they're disc. from disc yeah. um although that's what they did for nosferatu last year or okay. the year before it's hard to get and around then, not a yeah. lot of people have prints available and then on the 4th of november timely for halloween freaks is showing <laughs> i've not seen on the big screen now that that one definitely still gets you yeah I wonder how much they cut out of that film. (laughs) Probably a lot, considering when it was made. Yeah. And, you know, for for listeners who um, aren't familiar with the people behind it, Todd Browning, who directed Dracula, directed this one. So, you know, you got the visuals. (laughs) That was kind of the end of his career, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, they they said they'll make... MGM said, "Like make a make us a really scary movie to top Dracula." And he said, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it." So, uh, what are you looking forward to seeing that's coming to DVD or to theaters, Julian? Uh, well, I've got uh, Criterion's putting out Blu-rays of The Brood, um, and Don't Look Now. Um, so, I'm looking forward to seeing those again in a nice edition. Uh, they're the horror movies. That, coming out that i'm looking forward to um tales of halloween is one i'm looking forward to that's that's coming to theaters uh which is an anthology and apparently no, I'm familiar with that there's a bunch of great names attached to it which i'll have to look up because i'm spacing them out right now but that that is one that is coming out i think i'll have to look it up right about now or a week from right about now and, and we went to see the last uh attempt at rebooting friday the 13th didn't we we did and, and uh, uh, was that 07 sure that was a few uh, years ago now wasn't uh, it? 08 09 wait it was 09 i think um i think it was 09 yeah but the the next one comes out next may yeah so, yeah we should go and check it out and be disappointed again yeah i i feel like it's going to just be a tradition you know whenever <laughs> they put out some crap we'll just go get, get uh, our expectations met <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing Crimson Peak. Yes. Yes. Crimson Peak looks good. Um, uh, have you seen the Crumpus uh, previews? Yeah. Yeah. That looks good. I want to see that. Yeah. They've, they've never done a movie with the Krampus before, have they? I, I don't, uh, can't think they of one. did one called uh, with an evil Santa Claus. Yeah. There's yeah. Like been a, lots of evil Santa. That movies, was but. like 
Krampus. Mm. I've got um, notes. Now I can't remember what it's called. I've got notes from having listened to another podcast where they talked about it was called Rare Exports, I think. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Rare Exports. Yeah. I have, I have a note to myself to find that and watch it at some point in time because it does. I think he's in a block of ice and his horns are sticking out. Mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> and he comes around killing people. Yeah, of course. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, I saw that in troll hunter or something the Tr- same time oh, the, with the big yeah, giant yeah. trolls yeah, excellent. that yeah. was an excellent film they, i like that one a lot. i don't want to ruin that for anyone but it's the yeah. trolls all die at the end. yes they do <laughs> <laughs> they walk home by night yeah it's kind of like um when you have something silly like uh what was that m night Shyamalan movie um with the aliens signs signs um, so aliens who, uh, who are destroyed by the smallest amount of water are going to come to a planet that's mostly water. I don't believe water. they were actually aliens. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I believe they were demons. That would make a lot more sense then. Yes. And they turn out to be dead as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so with Halloween coming up, th- this kind of brings a question to mind. Do you think M. Night Shyamalan ever played Ding Dong Ditch? What is that? It's where you <laughs> ring a doorbell and run away. Oh, I think we call it Knockdown Ginger in England <laughs> for some reason. I don't know. They had some terrible names for that where I'm from. I won't uh, mention them. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, there, there was another name for that, which was terrible. Um, knockdown Ginger? Yeah. So was somebody with red hair answered the door. Instead of running away, you just punched them in the head or what? I don't know. I don't know who the famous ginger of the door answering was in, in history, but. Yeah, so this this kind of uh, will point out to the listeners that yes, this is a real accent. Jolien is actually from England, so England, Kansas, <laughs> which is not far from Manhattan, Kansas, <laughs> which is where Elvira's from originally. Cassandra Peterson, Manhattan, Kansas. Wow, one of our old managers from the store, which will go unnamed, was from from Manhattan, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, brings a full circle, doesn't it? Must it? be a yeah. statue, a yeah. top-heavy statue. So for next time, should we do Mind Eraser as our feature? Um, yeah, I think we could watch something. Do the car or something? Yeah, the car. Because, Will, what do you remember about the car? About what you remember, I remember it being a black car. I remember Christine a lot better than right than the car. Did you read the book, Christine? I did read the book, Same Christine, here. Christine, and I've seen it a couple times. So. That's why it sticks better. And it's yeah. out on Blu-ray now. Is it? Yep, it looks very nice. I yeah. need a Blu-ray player, I guess. So we're look, we're looking the DVD sitting right here. Jolien was kind enough to bring this. Um, what evil drives? That's the only tagline. So you've got this um, 1971... Uh, what is it, a Lincoln? I mean, I remember, what is that I, car? No, no I heard, they're on American cars. Well, I heard some... I heard some guys on a car show um, okay. where they where they do cool hot rods and stuff. I remember James Brolin's in the movie. Yeah, and we we can talk a little about about that next episode. But uh, the cover of this thing is just the front of the car, this really cool evil looking car, which is obviously a custom job. And um, it's got some good stunts in it. Yeah, if I were to read the back of this, I would know ten times more about the movie than I already know. Which is <laughs> there's really. an evil black car driving around killing people. <laughs> yeah, there's not been that many killer car movies and i can't think of any really great ones right now this was a sequel to my mother the car yes mother, yes it was car, right? which, which starred um, herman munster 
didn't it? No, it no? starred uh, Jerry Van Dyke. Oh, brother of the great British actor Dick Van Dyke. Yes. There's another movie called The Hearse. Ah. Uh, I think The Car is the best of the killer car movies. Um, Julian, you're familiar with um, a lot of the episodes of Futurama? No. Have you ever, have you ever seen The Honking? <laughs> Oh, well, you know what, before we, um, before we get out of here, uh, and get on our separate ways today, uh, I will, I will show you that episode of Futurama. It's where Bender the robot, um, gets cursed and he becomes a wear car. So when the moon is full, he transforms into an evil car, which looks just like the car. Oh, okay. So that's almost worth doing, um, original versus remake, which was one of the features we talked about that we might do. Uh, we could almost do the car versus um, the honking, <laughs> which <laughs> is named similar to the howling, but it's definitely based on the car uh, okay. as far as its look and the fact that it's evil and driving around killing people, which is all I remember about the car. Thank you again to the Moonrays for the intro creature features tune at the beginning of the show. That was our opening theme. And coming right up, Blues for Vampira from the 2004 Moonrays album, The Ghouls Go West. You can find them at themoon-rays.com. I had no trouble finding them on Amazon to purchase a couple of albums. Great stuff, spooky surf music. I think you'll enjoy. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 